Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. As I said, uh, we'll be in Psalm 3 uh, this evening. And as we're uh, uh, going through First and Second Samuel, we've taken some uh, stops along the way uh, to the turn forward to the Psalms uh, to be able to look at the historical Psalms that we're given in the book of Psalms that refer to the moment in history where we're going through. I had a theory last week that uh, the Psalms of Ascent, or some or all of them, are kind of written around this time as David longs to be able to go back to Jerusalem, uh, maybe written during the time of David, then edited later, or something like this, but that is just a theory. However, tonight, uh, it's not based on uh, theory or anything like that. It's given to us in the Word of God, where uh, the title as we mentioned on Sunday morning, is uh, the Word of God. And the title is given to us, A a Psalm of David, When He Fled from Absalom His Son. Now, uh, today, hopefully we'll get further than A Psalm of David. Someone said to uh, ask the question, how far did you get on uh, Sunday through the 23rd Psalm? And uh, this person said to their wife, of David. (laughs) That's as far as we got. Uh, so, uh, but tonight we're already further than that. You know, we've got, uh, when, uh, he fled Absalom, his son. Now, interestingly, we don't, we know that the Psalms are not chronological as we've gone through, uh, first and second Samuel, we started at about 53 and then jumped around the fifties and sixties. And there's all these Psalms that are written at different times. 40, uh, 142 is written when he's in the cave and, We've jumped all around that they're not chronological, but uh, the first and second psalm are deliberately placed there by the person who, uh, uh, you know, compiled the psalms. Uh, you know, we see the very first verse of uh, the psalms. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But then the end of verse 2, we also see that kind of uh, bracketing, the start and the end. Um, kiss the son lest he be angry when you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled blessed are all who take refuge in him so psalm 1 begins with blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked psalm 2 ends with blessed are all who take refuge in him they're kind of these deliberately put psalm 1 and then psalm 2 but we don't know why psalm 3 is the next one psalm 3 seems to be a strange uh, moment. Why, why would Psalm 3 be uh, a Psalm of David when he fled his son Absalom? One uh, commentator I thought explained it well. He said this, It is no accident that Psalm 3 comes immediately after Psalm 2, the great song of God's king. The second Psalm predicts that rulers and nations will rise against God's anointed Psalm 3 begins to chronicle what God's anointed actually experiences in this world. This is what life is like for God's king. He is betrayed by those closest to him. And I thought that was a good explanation, although we don't know uh, scripturally why it is. I thought this was a good summary to explain that Psalm 2 looks at uh, the, the, the rulers and how they plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord's anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And speaks generically, broadly, but then now we come to the Lord's anointed and how he is betrayed by closest to him. 
But now let's read Psalm 3 together and then let's look at it. So here now, uh, Psalm 3. A Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, and you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to you, the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Now we know for a fact that David wrote half of the Psalms. 73 of the Psalms are attributed to David in the book of Psalms itself. And then two times in the New Testament we're told about Psalms that are written by David, uh, by a New Testament author that says, David, as David said, and then they quote uh, two Psalms. So 75, 75 of the Psalms are written by David. And here we just have one glorious Psalm. But as we looked at last week, in Second uh, Samuel chapter 15, verses 25 to 26. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back to, into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. That he uttered that line that we looked at in depth last week, what seems good to him. He does not know what tomorrow will bring. He has fled Saul before with the uncertainty of tomorrow, the running and fleeing. We also need to remember that he is an older man now. The running and fleeing was once a challenge, but now is even more difficult. And even Absalom looks the part and I'm sure when he is, was a child, he would ask his dad to tell him the story of how he fled into the wilderness, how he defeated the mighty champion of Gath, and many other war stories. Now, you don't tell your military tactics to your enemies, but when he told him those stories, Absalom wasn't an enemy. He was growing up in David's house. He would have heard all the times and the stories about running into the wilderness, hearing about how he fled Saul. Now we find out how bad this situation is in Second Samuel due to his action. Remember verse 14. When David said to his, all his servants with him in Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape from, uh, for us from Absalom. Go quickly, let us, lest he overtake us quickly, and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of his sword. We saw that this was not merely just a misunderstanding between David and his son. He knew exactly what Absalom had come to do, to strike the sword, to attack, to overtake military terms. And in Psalm 3, he refers to this as many problems, which is what we see at the start. 
in verses 1 and 2. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And here there's three many's that he, he points out. That many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying. Absalom's plan is working. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, when we get to this, and Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and I with him I will remain. Here, Hushai, Hushai is saying that all the men of Israel have chosen. And who have they chosen to side with? Not the anointed king, but Absalom, the self-professed, self-proclaimed king. And even if you jump down to verse 6, I will, be not, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. And many are my foes might be an understatement when you consider this. Hushai says that all the people of Israel, all the men of Israel have sided with Absalom. David in this psalm says many, uh, many thousands of people, not just a thousand, many thousands of people. Not only many are my foes, but the second many was many are rising against me. Not only are there many people, but those many people continue to grow. Is uncertain of where this will end, what this will look like. But specifically, notice how it says, many are rising against me. How, how twisted and perverted it is. That when siding with Absalom, they were then taking on Absalom's plan to be able to take the, th- the crown from his father's head. Again, I remember that quote a couple of weeks ago where he said that, you aim for the crown, you want the crown, you must take the crown off the head which it lies. And David is not merely just giving this crown over. Absalom seeks to be able to attack his father. But not only that, the third many is that many are saying. We have seen the wickedness of Absalom come into light, but now we see that these people are saying, these many people that are rising up against David that they are saying that there is no salvation for him in God. It's not merely just Absalom saying this. This is his own son saying that there is no salvation for him in God. Psalm 71 verse 11 says, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. We don't know the backstory of what Absalom is saying to his, his followers. Maybe they're saying that there's no salvation for, for, in God from him, for him. Because his uh, action with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. Maybe his lack of action with Tamar. But we need to understand that this is no walk in the park. It's hard to be able to think of some form of modern example of something like this. Maybe a faithful CEO who's running the business and doing a tremendous job. Everybody's happy with him, but then in comes this, this upper manager. 
And, and, and he is not loyal or faithful to the business. He's in for one thing, to be able to get to the highest position that he can. He's cutthroat, and, he, and what he does is he goes behind everyone's back to be able to turn their backs on the CEO that he might be able to twist and distort all the figures and the numbers in his case so that he might be able to then say, let's take him down. Let the board vote him down and then vote me up. Okay. But it's not that he just merely goes to a few people on the board to be able to turn against him. It, it, he turns the whole company against the CEO. Again, it's hard to think of something modern. Even, even in that modern example, there's, there's no violence in that. That This man has to flee for his own house, taking his children and everything that he has. But even in this, with these many rising against him, the second thing we see is the Lord protects him. I'm always glad that the Psalms never just explain what is happening in the, on the earth. Never just happening in what's horizontal. That they often will set their gaze not just of what you see. The many people, thousands coming up against David. But always shifts our gaze and our focus onto what God is doing. We see this in verse 3. But you, O Lord, are my shield about me my glory and the lifter of my head. Out of all those things that are many around him, his focus shifts to one. That the Lord is David's shield. The Lord is David's glory. The Lord is the lifter of his head. The Lord is his shield. And interestingly, David doesn't write that the Lord is his strength. He does write that. In other times, in verse uh, Psalm 28, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to Him. But here he doesn't say the Lord is my strength and my shield. He merely says that the Lord is His shield. That His defense. He will speak of His salvation, but at this point he's writing to God, and he knows that the Lord is His shield. If nothing else, secondly, he shifts his gaze and sees the Lord as his glory. Now you think about David in this time. David is one of the most powerful men in the world. Not really just in Israel, just in this area. David has conquered many kingdoms. But now he is a fugitive once more. He went from his house of cedar to a desert. But his glory is not found in the throne in which he sits, the house in which he lives, the crown upon his head. But his glory, reputation, riches are found in the Lord. My glory. Another songwriter put it this way. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Lastly, David says that the Lord is the lifter of his head. What a beautiful image that is. Think about David marching out and the weight of the world upon his shoulders. Where are we going to sleep tonight? What are we going to do for food? As, As he has this army marching before him, 
as his son is trying to chase him down. David is downcast, but his eyes look towards the dust, but the Lord lifts his eyes up towards the heavens. Again, I said, one of the reasons I think that some of the Psalms of Ascent, if not all of them, are written in this time. The Lord is the lifter of my gaze in Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord is the one who lifts my gaze up as I'm kicking the dust with my feet. Not only the Lord protects him, but the Lord answered him. We need to be reminded that in chapter 15, as he goes up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went barefoot with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads as they went up, weeping as they went. As he's walking up this hill. But what does he say in verse 4 in Psalm 3? I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. As he's up now ascending to the Mount of Olives, David cries aloud. Even what an image that is. That now he, who, who is he surrounded with? And he doesn't show strength and says, I will get you through it. He cries aloud and he probably says, let us all pray. Let us pray to the Lord that he would see us through this night. We do not know where we're going. That all the people who are following David see David's weakness in this time. David who, who slew Goliath with one stone now cries to the Lord for help. He is seen helpless to those who are in his care. But here the psalm gives us more information than 2 Samuel chapter 15. The psalm says that I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. In what way did he answer him? Pray that you know the, the wisdom of Ahithophel would be turned against him. But he answers his prayer. He says that he answered him. We always need to be reminded that every other God that is created is, is merely just worshiping creation. Isaiah says that they cut a tree down and they shape half of it to look like a God and bow down and worship it. And then they put the other half on the fire. And they pray to that God and that, that, that tree cannot hear. That tree cannot hear and it cannot answer. But we pray to a God who hears and a God who answers. Not only God protects him, answered him, but the Lord sustained him in verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept, I woke again, and the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. God answered his prayer. He will answer his prayer about a hit fell, as we will see. But he also answered his prayer just merely with sleep. Now, sometimes I struggle to uh, fall asleep, and it's generally when I'm thinking about something petty. 
so generally about how I'm going to finish in a particular detail on a project. And it goes through how I demolished the first floor without bringing the second floor down upon me. But here, my problems are insignificant compared to what David prays, but here David provided even a good night's sleep for David. Uh, God provided a good night's sleep for David. Now even, I'm sure, as a king, he was concerned about his kingdom, and even as a dad, concerned about his son. But here he is, receives the blessing of sleep. But when there's no sleep, there's coffee, another blessing from the Lord. But David is not afraid of what might come. Interestingly, you think about the position that he is in. The the many thousands, the many foes, the many people rising against him. He is now in the wilderness. His son now has Jerusalem. But he's not afraid. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of the many thousands. Psalm 91, when we looked at this in our evening service some time ago. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And here, David at this point sees the many thousands around him, the many foes, and yet he is not afraid. He's not afraid. Again, you might think back to Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But here, the, this, the, David writes this psalm, and think about the many weights and burdens upon his shoulders. But he's not concerned. He prays to the God who's with him at, the, at his holy hill, although the ark has gone back to Jerusalem, the Lord is still with him. He is not afraid. Then we see David's plea. In verse 7, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. David knows that he is truly helpless in this situation. He cannot save himself. Only God can save him. This is, this is nothing new. He has always had this approach and this view. Think about how he, how he went with David. And he didn't boast about what he has done. He shared with Saul what he had done. About how he'd fought with bears and tigers. But all of his strength when he came to Goliath was that the Lord would strike Goliath down. And again he cries out, Arise, O Lord! And this is the cry, this is the prayer in which he utters here. Do something. This is my plea, save me. It's a similar cry to what was uttered by Moses in in Numbers chapter 10. I don't have it up on the screen, but Numbers chapter 10, verse 33 to 36. So they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the Ark of the Covenant went before them three days' journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day, 
whenever they set out from the camp. And whenever the ark sent out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousands, thousands of Israel. Here David cries, Although the ark of the Lord is not before him now, the ark is returned to Jerusalem. He cries the same prayer. Arise, O Lord, save me and strike your enemies on the teeth. Break the, the, the teeth of the wicked. He's calling the God to act against those enemies as Moses did. Let those who hate you flee before you. He knows that although the Ark of the Covenant is not with him, the God of the Covenant is still with him who can still answer this prayer, Arise, Yahweh. But finally, we see that salvation belongs to the Lord. It says in verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Deliverance only comes from God and no one else. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, a very famous verse. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Whatever I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It does not matter what other people say. Remember what all the other people said, the many thousands of people in verse 2? Many are saying of David that there is no salvation for him in God. But David says in this prayer, it's not for them to decide who to give salvation to and who not to. They're trying to speak on behalf of God. For whatever reason, they're looking at the outward appearance, they're listening to to Absalom, whatever reason they're, they're saying that salvation does not belong to David. David doesn't earn, deserve salvation, whatever reason. But David says, it's not for them to decide if salvation belongs to me or not. Salvation isn't for them to pass out or give out. Salvation belongs to God. What a glorious thing that we don't judge the people down the pew from us or the line from us. Yeah, you get salvation, you don't. Even ourselves. How often would we grant ourselves salvation if we're honest with ourselves? But salvation belongs to the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. It's God's gift to give, not these many thousands who are rising up against Him. Isaiah 13 4 says, But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. But salvation is God's gift to give. Martin Luther has a beautiful uh, statement about this. He writes, The most conclusion, the most beautiful conclusion, this. 
a most computable conclusion this. And, as it were, the sum of all the feelings spoken of. The sense is, it is the Lord alone that saves and blesses. And even though through this whole mass of all evils should all be gathered together in one against a man, still it is the Lord who saves. Salvation and blessing are in his hands. What then shall I fear? What shall I not promise myself? When I know that no one can be destroyed, no one can be reviled without the permission of God. Even through all, though all should rise up and curse to destroy, and that no one of them can be blessed and saved without the permission of God. How much soever they may bless and strive to save themselves. David here, as he sets out to go into the wilderness, as he does not know what tomorrow will bring, he knows that tomorrow is still in the Lord's hands. And his salvation depends on him, whatever may seem good to him. And he trusts not in his goodness, in the goodness of those cursing him, reviling him. But this... Conclusion speaks not just of salvation, but also blessing. The end of verse 8. Your blessing be on your people. You think of all of David has done, the good and the bad, but he still thinks of the sheep underneath him. Not just bless me, God, not just save me, but salvation belongs to the Lord and bless your people. I wonder if he's thinking of the, the Levitical blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. As he goes out into the wilderness. This benediction is true for David as he's fleeing his son. His benediction is true for those and it's not measured by what you have, where you live, the people who surround you. Because if it is, David would have no blessing to speak of. But the blessing and that Levitical blessing is being kept by God. God's face shining upon you. God's graciousness being given to you, God's countenance being lifting you up, His peace given to you. Again, all these things are not given by those situations, those people, those times, that it is all given by God. What a glorious psalm. David, in the midst of fleeing, turns to God to hear his cry. The psalm says that not only God will be a shield to protect us, But also that the shield is only for a time and a season. But the end is about salvation. Peace is to be given. Makes us understand all the more when Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. He realizes his, his, his battle is not against flesh and blood, The victory is found in Christ. Peter says this to the council in Acts chapter 4. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you. The builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That salvation belongs to God. It is God's gift to give, and He's given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And even just notice in Acts chapter 4. Throughout the Old Testament, it's very clear. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation belongs to God. What does Peter say in Acts chapter 4? It's through Jesus that salvation and Him alone that salvation comes. Or Paul writes in 2 Timothy, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave in us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Salvation comes not through the men that mock us, not through them who question us, not through even our actions, but salvation belongs to God finish with a quote from John Calvin as he writes on this psalm he says from this passage we learn that the church shall always be delivered from the calamities which befall her because God is able to save her he will never withdraw his grace and blessing from her Jesus put it this way in Gospel of Matthew, that the gates of hell will rise against, but they will not prevail. Here, Absalom might seek to succeed. He might even destroy David, if we didn't know the outcome. Whatever seems good to God, but the promises of God made to David will not fail, because God is the one who brings salvation. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.